on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Radio 97.7 ESPN Radio Utica Rolls What's up Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. You can listen online. You can listen on the ESPN app. Oh, download that thing. Take us with you wherever you go. Except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. You can listen on the podcast on your time. Subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes or Google Play as well. So many ways to take in the show and some great ways to participate in the show. Be the kid that participates, not just the kid that sits in the back of the room, watching the clock, waiting for a class to be over. No, raise your hand. Be a participant. It feels good. Here's how you do it. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. Now, I have a question today that I'll get into here momentarily. It's a great text line question. It's a great tweet question. And I think it's a great radio question in terms of actually getting on the radio and explaining yourself. Whatever forum you feel most comfortable in, those are the ways to get in touch with us. Again, the phone is 437-7644, Twitter, Brent Dax Media, or on the text line at 288-0644. It has to do with Syracuse basketball. It is a pretty simple question. It's about as simple as it gets. We'll get to that here momentarily. We're guest-free today, so please be my guest. Be my guest. Put our magic to the test. Hot ta- uh, hot takes to come. I saw, and again, these are reports and this is speculation, but if this is true, it is so Jets, first of all. But I wonder if some Jet fans would actually applaud history being made in this sense. A little football talk in here. We'll do that during hot takes. Top five today, We as we've been kind of chronicling along here as we're all paying attention to quadrants and bracketology and where Syracuse stands on that. We'll go on bubble watch during today's top five. Plenty of SU hoops discussion through the show. Louisville apparently never won an NCAA championship in 2013, except we all kind of saw it happen. And we all saw, unfortunately for him, Kevin Ware break his leg in that final four and that apparently no longer exists as the toothless punishments come from the NCAA. Pretend this never happened. Vacate wins. Take down banners. It doesn't matter. Now, that being said, this whole idea that college basketball doesn't need some regulations that are out there now 
is ridiculous. Someone has to watch over college sports. I just don't know who's left to do it. So we will discuss that per the Louisville news today. I do want to start, though, with some Syracuse basketball, and we'll throw this out there. This probably will not be the last time I ask this question. Maybe at some point this question will answer itself due to quadrants and math and bracketology and just when you kind of have a sense and when you know that it's over. Think of Ocean's Eleven. Think of the scene when George Clooney finds Matt Damon, and he's in that bar, and Matt Damon comes into the bar. And one of the great rewatchable movies of all time, I would put Ocean's Eleven, the George Clooney version, not that I would uh, turn off the Frank Sinatra version back in the day, but the modern one, the first one. Ocean's 12 was garbage. Ocean's 13, decent. Don't have to rewatch it. Good movie, good follow-up. Rescued kind of that that series because Ocean's 12 was, good boy. Ocean's 11, though, I would put in my top five, along with Rocky Four, along with A Few Good Men, along with Caddyshack, and I'd probably put Major League in there, too. I'm, I know I'm forgetting, like, Ghostbusters and a couple other movies. Asking me to do that top five. Now the replacements is coming up, and it just don't ask me to do a top five. But I'm telling you, Ocean's Eleven would be in there. Okay? Number one. No, 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 no. We're going to do something else for the top five. Not that. Thank you, though, voice guy, for participating. So George Clooney walks in, and he slams the plane tickets on the table. And what does he say to Matt Damon's character in that movie? You're either in and you're out right now. So that's my question for you. Knowing what we know about Syracuse basketball, knowing what their resume looks like, knowing the schedule ahead, knowing their limited depth at this point, though they seem to be finding ways to overcome this limited depth no matter who they play, and certainly the next two games will provide as stiff a test for that as we have seen. Knowing what you know, and with a little explainer on the other end, you're either in or you're out. On this team, making the tournament. That opinion can change based on how things go, But I like living in this uncertain territory we're in right now, where it could go either way, where they've got enough Quadrant One wins, enough quality wins, enough to be in the conversation, but they have a lot to prove. I mean, they are literally hanging on the edge here. There could not be a better time to have to make a decision on a prediction, I should say, based on where they sit right now. The bracket matrix, they're pretty much the last team out. Joe Lenardi, 68 out of 68. Jerry Palm, 68 out of 68. The great site Bracketville, which has been rated one of the most accurate bracketology sites by the bracket matrix in recent years, 68 out of 68. I mean, they are on the cut line. Right there, boom. So let's make that call now. Make that projection and either look smart and say, I told you back on February 20th. Maybe you've believed this all along. There's Syracuse fans out there that, you know, they could be the Black Knight from the Monty Python movies, right? They'll keep fighting. They'll bite your bloody leg off until you ride away. Then there are Syracuse fans that are realistic and see the road ahead and say, okay, they can do this. But boy, are they going to limp across the finish line to do it given the schedule and what we know about this team. And then there are uh, fans that, you know, pretend they're fans, but 
love to wallow in the misery of Syracuse basketball and say there's no way that they're going to make this. Right? There's Really, those are the three kind of fans. Maybe I'm missing one or two other descriptions, but that's you either probably sit on one of those three fences. So my question is, which side are you going to jump on? I'm on the outside. And I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be positive. I, I want to be realistic. I think the road ahead's a little too tough. I think having to beat North Carolina, Duke, Clemson, whatever combination you come up with there, I think it's certainly two out of three to really impress the committee. I think the ACC tournament, they'd pretty much have to get very deep into that, which is possible, although recent success in the ACC tournament is not something that has come Syracuse's way. I see it right now. If you ask me right now, point blank, how's it going to go? The result will be the same as last year in that they just were left out. I don't think they'll be like a number one seed in the NIT this year, but you know, given where they are on the cut line, that's probably what they'd end up being. It's different because they fought to the end. It's different because the quality of road wins, quadrant one wins, the things that the committee looking for is better, but I think they'll just come up just that short. That's my gut feeling right now. They are going to fight their tail off to the end. They are going to give North Carolina everything they can handle and Duke everything they can handle and Clemson down the road. You know, but basketball is weird like that. I can see them slipping at Boston College. You know, these things just don't go according to plan. What they do have going for them, and we've discussed this a little bit, they are peaking in the right areas. The offense is getting better. O'Shea Brissett in particular, who you can look at a lot of things with O'Shea Brissett, but in the last four games, as I pull it up here, O'Shea Brissett is 45% over his last four games on outside shots. His confidence is there, but he's getting in the lane better. I mean, just go back to that Miami game. He's on the three-point line early in the game, fakes, drives in, one-handed jam over the Miami defense. He's just a different player right now. Syracuse as a team, and a big part of that is what I just said, is shooting much better in the last four games. While the defense lagged from the three-point line against Wake Forest and NC State and was better against Miami, they're going to have their hands full against teams like Carolina and Duke that can just flat-out score. And to beat teams like Carolina and Duke, you've got to fight fire with fire. You have got to match their offensive output. That's not an easy thing to do. North Carolina, right now, and I know these are just numbers, okay? Numbers are not everything, but numbers can also give you context and it can tell you the personnel. You know, Luke May is going to be a big problem for Syracuse tomorrow. Second in the ACC in rebounding and three-point shooting. This is a North Carolina team that is physical, that loves to go fast, that loves to pound the boards. And there is no better truth serum for Syracuse than rebounding, right? We've thrown out the stats all year. I've put it in my recap a number of times. Mike Waters and Donna DeToda and Chris Carlson and my colleagues at Syracuse.com have written about this. You want to know whether Syracuse won or lost with a almost 100% accuracy. Look at the rebounding. So how do you get around that tomorrow? It's not to say that you can't. It's just going to take a flat-out effort. It's going to take Pascal Chuku and Barama giving everything they have. Merrick Dolzhai continuing to go after the boards. Your guards are going to have to rebound. O'Shea Brissett 
is going to have to continue to rebound. But it's a little different doing that against Miami versus a team like Carolina. Carolina, matchup-wise, is going to be a big headache for Syracuse. They're the only team in the ACC right now with two scorers amongst the top five. We mentioned May. Joel Berry's there at 17 points per game. We mentioned the rebounding. And it's not just rebounding. It is offensive rebounding. They are second in the country, not the ACC, the country, in offensive rebounding percentage, 42%. They're also among the 30 best in the country on the defensive glass. Not to say Syracuse can't rebound, but that's a team that can rebound. That's a team that excels at rebounding. Now, where North Carolina has struggled has been on defense. They're not, as Chris Carlson points out here, clearly good at forcing turnovers and have allowed opponents to make 39% of their three-point shots. Now, we mentioned O'Shea Brissett is shooting better, but you're going to need O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, and Tyus Battle to all throw in threes. It'd be really nice if one of them got really hot, but, you know, if O'Shea gets hot, then the defense will adjust, and that's going to leave Tyus and Frank open for some shots. Now, we saw what happened with Tyus in the last game. He hit the shot. He came through when Syracuse needed him most, but he struggled shooting the ball. Getting inside against this team will not be easy, so I think you're going to see him and Frank maybe take a few more outside shots. Those got to go, right? Those are the shots that got to go. So I think Syracuse is going to give it all they have, throw everything, the kitchen sink included, at Carolina and Duke. But I, short of just a offensive performance, which we have not seen from this team this year, I think they come up just short in those games. Then you can't slip against Boston College. Clemson, I'm really intrigued by that game because I think a lot's still going to be on the line when we get there. It's a home game. It's the final home game of the year. It's not a very emotional senior day because, you know, there's really no seniors on this team. It's a very young team, so it's going to be kind of a ho-hum kind of day in that sense, but it's going to be a very big game. And by then we'll have more of an understanding of what Syracuse will have to do in the ACC tournament, according to all the bracket experts. But for now, if you really ask me, just what does my gut tell me? Hope I'm wrong. I hope that they pull off an upset, break the script, and how exciting this will be to track a team that's fighting to the very end. Because, look, they did they last year? Sure they did. They beat Duke on February 22nd last year. They made up some ground. They pushed to the end. But we kind of knew, but, but yeah, the resume from a couple months ago was going to come back and, and haunt them. Whereas this time around, they have a lot of quality losses. They have the Quadrant 1 wins they need at least to be in the conversation. And they've shown that they have ways to beat really good teams. College basketball, the ACC itself, while Duke and Carolina and Clemson have separated from the ACC pack, they are certainly beatable. There is no dominant squasher-neck team in this league other than Virginia. And Syracuse played Virginia, and we saw what happened both times. 437-7644. So we will come back to that not only today, but, you know, as long as we have to. George Clooney, throwing it down on the table. He wants to know, are you in or are you out? And that's what I want to know. So we'll discuss that as we continue. I do want to get into some college hoops next from the sense of, so the NCAA denied Louisville's appeal. And Louisville now has to pretend 
that a championship that it did not that it won did not exist. Doc Brown got in his DeLorean, went back, and we're now in some alternate Biff Tannen reality. Here in 2018, Louisville didn't win a championship in 2013. So my question is, what the heck does that even do? That being said, someone's got to watch over college basketball because this stuff is happening. And that FBI investigation did not go away. And there are things bubbling out there. So who's going to do it is the question. We'll discuss next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right This is On the Block with Brent Axe. I cannot say this strongly enough. We believe the NCAA is simply wrong to have made this decision. And he's right to say that. And he is uh, the University of Louisville president, Greg Polsky. You know, I, I, hey, welcome back. Buddy. On the Block, presented by Burdick Toyota. This is interesting to me. So, look. I've been pretty clear on this. Syracuse has been down this road, vacating wins, vacating titles, vacating anything, pretending that something we all saw happen is ridiculous. The NCAA vacated Syracuse lacrosse's 1990 NCAA title, and there's a great story behind that. I'm sure many of you have heard. We discussed the documentary on the show. Was it last year or the year before that that came out about the trophy missing and everything? But we were there. We saw it happen. I watched Louisville win a title in 2013. Unfortunately, saw Kevin Ware break his leg. And Kevin Ware was somebody who spoke out today. And in speaking to ESPN, these Louisville players are like, what do you mean our legacy's tarnished? We won that thing. Quote Luke Hancock, 2013 Final Four most outstanding player. I don't care that much about perception. I don't think it changes much. We won those games. It's not like that never happened. Said Kevin Ware, who we mentioned momentarily ago. It's dumb. At the end of the day, the mistakes that Andre McGee made didn't have to do with us. The NCAA is a joke. And I think most people associated with the game, most fans looking at it, agree with that. Okay. I did this in hot takes recently. We played back a clip from Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, who made a comparison on a show that the FBI should be looking more into shootings and Russia scandals and things that matter versus college basketball. Chris Russo is not wrong in spirit. He is not wrong in theory. But when you break the law, you have to pay for it. And people in college basketball, if the investigation plays out, if the wiretaps and if you are proven in a court of law to have broken just that, well, you can't just ignore that. The FBI is a wide-ranging Federal Bureau of Investigation that investigates crimes in this country, right? You can't just, ah, eh, we're going to let that one go, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is it going 40 and a 35? Yes. But going in a 40 and a 35 at least gets enough attention. Like, I might have to write you a ticket there, okay? So for, and I don't want to pick on Russo here. I'm a big fan of Chris Russo, but you can't just say that. Ah, they're better off doing this. That's not how it works, right? If you break the law, you've got to pay for it. If you're wiretapping, you know, caught on wiretaps, if you're committing bank fraud, if you're committing uh, racketeering and things that some of these coaches have been accused of, then no, you can't just ignore that. The 
remember when this whole thing was announced back in September? I, I, I wish I looked up the gentleman's name, but he was a spokesman for the FBI. He basically agreed with this and said, you don't want us doing this, but now we have to. Okay. Well, the FBI is too busy. The NCAA is not doing a good enough job. So who looks over college basketball and college sports in general? Because if no one does it, then we know what will happen. Even with this oversight, as toothless as and as unrespected as the NCAA has become, people are still cheating their butts off and are still finding ways around rules and are finding ways to cheat. And then when they get caught, point a finger at the NCAA and say, how dare you? The NCAA has lost almost all tooth authority and any sort of respect from people. You used to fear the NCAA, right? You didn't want the NCAA knocking on your door. Now when the NCAA knocks on your door, you know what it reminds me of? That scene from Braveheart when that guy's like, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing, right? Or the other scene in Braveheart when they ask Mel Gibson where he's going. He says, I'm going to pick a fight, right? NCAA calls, game on, let's go. Look what the NCAA, I, I was about to say did do, but it's more like it didn't do at North Carolina. They were exposed as, as toothless. They were exposed to, oh, sorry, nothing we can do there. When we all, everybody knew. My mother knew what was happening there. And the NCAA comes back and says, well, see, there's kind of a loophole, and that's not, we, we, sorry, we can't do anything about this. Good luck with your, whatever you're doing, though. We'll be over here. So who looks over this? Because you have to. Someone has to. Or it'll be even worse than it is now. And the thing is, anybody who listens to this show right now that follows college sports on a basic fundamental level, no stuff happens, right? With recruits and, you know, art imitates life when you watch movies like Blue Chips and He Got Game and I'm trying to think, the program for football. They've really updated these movies. They need to do like recent versions of these movies. If they have, they're just not popping in my head right now, but... You watch these and you're like, that's not that far away from what's really going on. And then we hear about stripper parties and things that happen at Louisville. And so we all agree, like, okay, Rick Pitino, this keeps happening under your watch and you can't just keep, you know, coming out saying, I don't know about this. But we also know that who is prosecuting Louisville in this case is a joke. So I wish I had an answer to this, but I don't. I don't know who to turn to. Can Is Batman busy right now? Like, I just don't know. Maybe Scooter knows. Let's go to the phones. 437-7644. Scoot, what's happening, man? He's like, I can't believe that you didn't like the Academy Awards sequel of Conan the Destroyer with Aris uh, Warsnager in uh, Will Chamberlain. I just can't believe sneak a top 10 sequel. Now, Warsnager's longest line in that was seven words. Uh, seven words. If you took out the, probably four words. So. <laughs> And uh, they actually dubbed Will Chamberlain's voice. So was, they did not, did they? Really? Yeah. If you oh get inside, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, yeah, he's not doing anything. It's it's a riot. I mean, it, and they had also Grace Jones was in the movie too. I think. You know, while we're on the subject, quickly, and I just was scanning around last night, and I ran into it. Kareem Abdul, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, an airplane. 
Yes, in fact, I was on AMC today. As much as, like, you you can literally see him reading a cue card. (laughs) It was was really good how they did it. Like, I love that cameo he makes in that movie. So, anyway, apropos of nothing, what's on your mind, buddy? Yeah, you know, if you said today and you take away, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, yeah, I think they're in. And you also got to look at uh, the the, uh, the, 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 the other conference now. When when the biggies formed X Man, it helped the Bubble Busters because basically they took they they took basically Xavier Butler, Creighton teams like that. If they didn't win their smaller conferences when they were in smaller conferences, they didn't win. You know they're going to knock someone off the the bubble. But now the Big East basically is a bunch of Bubble Busters, and there's probably less chances of teams now knocking teams off the bubble compared to other years because the Big East basically's got them all. And if you take if you take out Wichita State. But so you have to win their conference championship would, would, would actually knock somebody off. It's a lot easier, I think, to be in the bubble. Plus, they had four teams from 64. The thing I can't believe is, is the RPI, okay? How certain teams are in love. I mean, North Carolina's got seven losses. One's, in, one's a loss to home to Wolford, and they're still in the top ten. And to me, it's just amazing. Clemson's another team that, that defies description when you basically lose your top player. You lose a Florida State. You just lost a Duke, and they still hang around the RPI. It's like, you know, where, you know, the, you know, the measurements. I, I know this RPI gets now. Buffalo's supposed to be up there somewhere too, and I think St. John's, even with 13 losses, is actually a tier one win because, because I think they're in the top 75 right. now. It's yeah, just, it's it's just they can't find the perfect system, and I think there are some improvements, and I'm glad they're taking other kind of analytics and qualifications into effect in this scooter. And, you know, you brought up some teams on one end of the spectrum, and thanks for the call. So Scooter's in. Scooter's in. Conan the Destroyer. Bad rewatchable movie, and I mean that with all love in my heart. Let me go the other way on this. So I'm watching a little bit of Oklahoma, Kansas last night, and Oklahoma, if you just kind of parachuted in and you're starting to pay a little bit more attention this time of the year, you look at their resume, and I admit I'm one that said this. This thought crossed my mind until I was reminded how good their resume is. But if you just looked at record, Oklahoma's 16 and 11, and they're 6 and 9 in conference. But their RPI is 34, their strength of schedule is 14, their Ken Palm rating is 44. Why is that? They have six quadrant one wins. They beat Kansas, Texas Tech, Wichita State, TCU twice, and USC. They're six and seven overall against Quadrant One. They lost a return game at Kansas. They lost a return game at Texas Tech. They lost at West Virginia. They've been on a bit of a slide lately. And what made me think of this was if Oklahoma missed the tournament, which, boy, they'd really just have to fall off a cliff to do that with that resume. But, you know, look, anything's possible here. This would be the third year in a row that the best player in college basketball would not be in the NCAA tournament. Ben Simmons was not in the tournament for LSU. Markel Fultz. Now, I say best player. Simmons and Fultz were number one picks. You can talk me into other players that were around in their time that would get that title, but they were number one draft picks. Trey Young from Oklahoma won't be the top overall pick, but he's going to be a top five pick from everything we can see. Can you imagine if we go three straight years, and again, I think Oklahoma's going to get there when you look at the resume and we got a couple weeks left here, though, so as they say, anything's possible. Can you imagine that? The tournament survives on 
upsets and brackets and all the storylines and the familiarity of it. And, you know, the tournament will always do well considerably, but it does better when it has stars and brand names and really standout teams, which they don't have all of that. There's some good teams in college basketball, but there's not a dominant standout team other than Virginia, and Virginia is frankly boring to watch to people that are just casual fans. Kentucky's not even ranked right now. Kansas is there, Duke is there, Carolina's there, but they all have their flaws. There are stars in college basketball beyond Trey Young, really good players out there, but he's it. He's the guy. Can you imagine if, they, if that's three years in a row? How does that happen? But Oklahoma should get in. I mean, that resume is too good. They would just have to lose out, lose in the first round of their tournament, and it would be more of a late-season swoon than anything. But you look at the whole resume, particularly with the quadrant system now. 437-7644. We will continue to discuss that. Either you're in or you're out on the orange, making the tournament. Hit the text line on that, too, if you just want to get a quick response to that. 2880644 Or on Twitter, Brent Dax Media. Hot takes to come. We'll hit the phones a little bit more when we come back. It's a Tuesday. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. It's presented by SRC Incorporated, who's doing great work to protect us and our warfighters. But they need your help, too. SRC is growing and looking for software or systems engineers. Hey, if that's you, go to srcinc.com to apply today. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. We're just trying to get for the next game. I think we've got a good team. I think we've played well this year. We have a much better strength of schedule than we had last year. We don't really have any bad losses, and we've got more road games than we had last year. So I like our position. we got to just keep playing. Uh, you know, we've got some really, really tough games left, and we'll see what happens. That's Jim Beheim, of course, on the ACC media call earlier this week. North Carolina tomorrow, as you know, quadrants, quality losses, bad losses, good losses, RPI, bracketology, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. We're trying to wade our way through it. So my question for you today, and I'll keep asking as long as I have to, are you in or are you out? Are the orange in or are the orange out? Knowing what you know now and trying to see the future. Let's see what Dro and Clay thinks on the block, ESPN Radio. Dro, you in or out, buddy? Well, I, I can't give my reasons of why it's 50-50. I have to pick one or the other, right? Yes, you do. Well, you give reasons, but, you know, okay, if, well, if you I'm had, if say I pushed, we're going to be in as a 12th seed playing okay. Washington in the playing game. Now, how cool would that be? <laughs> that would be fantastic. It, it would be. And I, I'm going to go with it. If you're gonna, you know, as Adam Shine would say, gun in my head, if you're putting me on the spot, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end up winning the Wednesday game to secure a spot. It's gonna be close, and we're gonna probably win that Wednesday game by about a, a, about a basket, by a basket. We're gonna get in by the skin of our teeth, but we will get in. The key um, thing, and Jim just brought it up in that clip we played, Drew, is there's not a lot of bad losses. They've won more games on either road or neutral sites. They've got to pick up another quadrant one win or two, but have enough. And you know, it, it, it seems like this has been life for Syracuse the past couple of years. A nice showing in the ACC tournament certainly won't hurt. But I think we put way too much emphasis on that. I think the committee does not put as much into that as maybe we perceive it to be. But I don't think it hurts your your, your resume going down the stretch if you know you make it to the semifinals and show people that you're playing your best basketball right now. Agreed. So 
So hopefully we can get some couple big wins coming up here and get this thing going the right direction. I want to touch base on the NCAA thing with Louisville today. Sure, yeah. Regardless what Louisville did or not, I'm just I don't understand how Carolina got off, and, and I'll never will. I I felt Syracuse got hosed with their investigation, and I feel that Louisville kind of took one the chin. Granted, they did some stuff they shouldn't have done, but what Carolina did was. I don't. I just don't understand how they got off. I'm, all I'm going to hope is this. I believe on March 9th, Friday, before Second Sunday, someone's going to leak out the uh, FBI schools that are being watched. Well, and Joe, I hope Carolina's on that list. It's interesting you brought that up because, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody in the office about this today. I appreciate the call. So why is, and Pete Thamel's a darn good journalist, okay, but journalists get things leaked to them. People in media get things leaked to them. I've had things leaked to me. It just, that's the way it works. So why are we starting to get some rumbles about what could be coming from this college basketball thing? Because if this was a well-done investigation, we wouldn't be hearing anything, right? We know, as the FBI said, this is only round one. We're looking into it more. It's inevitable with the way the media is and social media and the way that you can leak things today. I mean, you can't keep an airtight lid on everything, but what's starting to get out. So, and I'm just, you know, basically speculating here, but is there criminal investigation breaking down? So there's focus on some of the college basketball cheating stuff. Look, we've got all this material, but we can't really prosecute anybody. So here, do with it what you will. Right. And, Per Drew's point about Carolina, and I'm not agreeing with this, but the rationale basically was it was not alone in athletics. Whereas Syracuse's situation, you could kind of contain it in athletics, things being done for Fab Mello, things being done for athletes. With Carolina, there were non-athletes taking the African-American studies class and the other, you know, they were rigged, rigged classes that were there. Again, that doesn't mean... There was systematic cheating going on and funneling players to certain majors so they could skate through. But I don't get it either, Drew. I'm the kid in the back of the room, too. Like, um, I don't get it. And will this all come out before the tournament? The billion-dollar enterprise? You can't bring your soda can from the press room out to sit on press row because it's not an official NCAA sponsor? We shall see. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's hot take it. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Well, the hot stove hasn't been very hot lately, has it? But it's starting to pick up. We mentioned this a little bit on yesterday's show. Uh, the Boston Red Sox, uh, nice to know somebody's still working in the front office there. Signed J.D. Martinez to a five-year, $110 million contract. It is among the 12 richest contracts in Red Sox history. It's number six, trailing Dustin Pedroil, Carl Crawford. Yeah, how'd that one work out? Adrian Gonzalez. How'd that one work out? Manny Ramirez, pretty good. David Price, jury still out, but seven years, seven two hundred seventeen million for a great middle reliever. Probably not what they had in mind there. So get David Price back in the starting rotation. See how that goes. Martinez, thirty years old, forty-five homers, one hundred and four RBIs between the Tigers and D-backs last year. I can give you all the numbers: six ninety slugging percentage, all that. But you know what this is? They had to keep pace with the Yankees. 
They had to keep pace with the Yankees. The Yankees made the biggest splash of the offseason. They brought in Stanton. They're a, a win away from the World Series, despite you know last year's team being young and up and coming and a year or two away, and then, then they weren't, and then they were there. And, you know, the great arms race is back on between the Red Sox and Yankees, just in case you missed it in the American League East. That's all this is. And, look, the Red Sox can use an extra bat. I'm not disputing that. And I think, as Seth pointed out yesterday, I thought made a good point, could kind of mess with their outfield right now. But it is that simple. These two kind of got away from each other for a while, and the Sox were dominant and won some division titles, and the Yankees had old players and had to shed contracts and get creative. And, you know, then Gary Sanchez happens. Then Aaron Judge happens. And then, whoa. They're back, baby. And then the Red Sox say, wait, when did we fall behind on this? That's all that was. And I know that. That's hot. I'm not really telling you anything you don't know, but that's all it was. Would the Red Sox have signed J.D. Martinez or been in the market for Eric Hosmer or some of these other names? And what's been a slow hot stove had the Yankees not done that? Maybe because you got to keep pace. But what the Yankees did forced their hand, even in a very slow offseason market. Let's go back to the phones here at 437-7644, and then we'll squeeze in a couple more hot takes. Pat in Syracuse on the block. Pat, what's shaking, man? And to follow up my boy's row there, um, just just a couple, couple quick points here. Um, basically, with the conference tournament acts, we've been talking about this for over a decade. I know you're not the biggest fan of it, um, but it is a huge thing that the tournament uh, committee looks at because it, it, it shows neutral court, which is, you know, basically – Beating Boston College in Brooklyn would be better than beating, or as you know, an equivalent to beating uh, Clemson or possibly Duke at home, and that's just the way it works. So, any anytime you go away from home and and you're playing a top 100 team, yeah, the committee's going to definitely look at it, and, where, and, and they're going to look at it. Here's where I, I'll slightly disagree, Pat. Where they, I think, what taints—that's not the right word. Where I think they're careful about rewarding team too much in conference tournament plays. How unique it is. Because you're in a tournament, you're playing every day, you get hot. Like There's different circumstances there than there are in the regular season. I'd be naive to believe it doesn't affect them in any way because it's the last thing right in front of their face before they make their decision. But I don't think it's as huge of a factor through the years as we've made it out to be, unless you win the thing, of course, and you know, that, then no, you get the automatic bid. It's just an... It's a, it's a, all, I don't know if you're misrepresenting what I'm saying, but all I'm simply saying is it's another game on a neutral site against an opponent that probably chances are is in the top 100. So it's, you know, so, you know, you, it's, it's been said over these airways over the last decade that, Oh, it's, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It's, it's, it's as important as, you know, the Wednesday or Thursday in Brooklyn is as important as the game tomorrow. It, it, it's that simple. And I don't, it, it, just because it's a tournament, the resume, how they do it is simple. They look at every game and, you know, it is considered when it's played, but that's like one of the last things they look at. For, for me, this team right now is in. Um, I think we're going to beat Carolina. I think we're going to go down to Duke, and we're going to beat Duke without Bagley. I think we're going to lose to Boston College and then come home and beat Clemson. So we're going to take three out of four, and we're going to be in. Then they're in. They do that, they are in, and it doesn't matter what happens in Brooklyn, as it should be. And yeah, we've gone back and forth on this through the years. I understand what conference tournaments are there for, but I, I will hold this opinion no matter what in this sense. You never want to go to a conference tournament as it being your last gasp, as you need to do well here to make the tournament. You don't want to go into a conference tournament with that feeling. 
You want money in the bank. You want the conference tournament to be a warm-up, get out of there healthy, and play your best when the real deal happens. And we all know what can happen at conference tournaments when you have a surefire Final Four team and injuries happen there. Lorenzo Anawaku, one of the great Syracuse teams that never was because of an injury, and they were, you know, Butler beat them in that tournament and then was a half-court shot away from winning the whole darn thing. So even that team without a great weapon still went pretty far and maybe farther than people thought they would. 437-7644, the phone number. As Jim tweets at us, always good to have a daily double. Drow and Clay followed by Pat. Where Drow lurks, Pat is never far behind and vice versa. It's a beautiful thing in the Syracuse sports radio world. All right, let me do a couple more hot takes, and we'll take a break. That's hot. So Mark Cuban has said that the team, his team, the Dallas Mavericks, of course, would be better off as a loser for the remaining of the season. The Mavs are 18-40, and 40, coming out of the All-Star break. They have the third, third worst record in the NBA behind the Suns and the Hawks. Cuban told his team that it would be best for them to lose, admitting this on Julius Irving's podcast, which I just found out that Julius... Irving, Dr. J, has a podcast. I need to hear this now. Anyway, he outlined his plans for the team to a handful of players at a recent dinner and that they wouldn't tank again. He says being transparent is the key to a player-owner relationship. New lottery rules are giving teams with their worst record only a 14% chance of getting the first pick to dissuade teams from tanking. Look, Philadelphia never outright admitted they were tanking. It was They came up with a clever expression, right? Trust the process. And we all knew the Buffalo Sabres and hockey were tanking for either Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. They just never really admitted it. This is what I've always loved about Mark Cuban, as the kids like to say, let's keep it real and let's be real. We have reached a point where it is better for us to lose than it is for us to win, which in some people's minds is just blasphemy that you would say that in sports. But in reality, Mark Cuban's right. Well, I'm a season ticket holder, and I paid to watch this team try and win basketball games. Would you rather Mark Cuban think about the next two months or the next two years, five years, whatever number you want to put on it? If you buy season tickets to a team, which, by the way, is becoming less and less of a necessity in sports these days with StubHub and secondary markets, and I know some... Marketing departments probably don't want me saying this right now, but that's the reality of it. But when you choose to do that, I think you know the investment you're making. You are there for the highs and the lows, and buying season tickets by and large is you're not a fly-by-night kind of fan. You're making an investment. And if the owner of the team is being upfront with you and saying, probably best for us to lose, and he has proven to have success in the past, I'm going to listen to him. On that note, we will break. Much more on Syracuse basketball, some great feedback this hour, which will continue into the next. Simple question, George Clooney, Ocean's Eleven style. Are you in or are you out right now on Syracuse making the tournament? We'll continue to discuss it next. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.